The limited partner shares in the potential outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but as a passive investor with no day-to-day -day operating requirements, whose liability is limited to the extent of their share of ownership. The limited partner has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. Now they say you're the average of the people you surround yourself with. Are you looking to elevate your network, connect with individuals that bring your average up? The limited partner is more than just a podcast. It's a community to learn, to participate, to connect. There's no other community out there like this for limited partners. So subscribe to the podcast, but most importantly, join the community at thelimitedpartner.com. Welcome to the podcast with your host, Jake Wiley. Welcome partners. This is your host, Jake Wiley. This week, I'm joined by Jenny Gu of Vertical Street Ventures. Jenny, thank you for being on the show and I'm glad to have you. Thanks so much, Jake. Happy to be here. Well, Jenny, I guess to start off, I'd love to get a little bit of clarity on your background, where you came from, because I know it wasn't always in real estate. How did you end up in real estate? Tell us a little bit about yourself here. Absolutely. So I currently am a full-time real estate investor and syndicator. I've been doing this for about two years. Prior to that, I spent 13 years in a company called Procter & Gamble. I was a sales director there for some of our cleaning brands, uh, managing sales strategies nationwide and uh, managing some of our product initiatives across the country. But when we lived in Cincinnati, my husband and I, who also worked for the company, we decided to diversify our retirement portfolio because we were very heavy in the market, P&G retirement. And so like many others, we started investing in single families, single family homes, great cash flow. I got to the point where we accumulated 10 of them all in Cincinnati, we said, you know what? There's got to be a way to scale this better and faster because we were kind of tired of managing 10 mortgages, 10 roofs, et cetera. And we learned about multifamily not too long after that. Fast forward back two and a half years ago, maybe after we learned about the model, I just believed in it so much. I decided to quit my job before even purchasing a single apartment building. And uh, right smack at the beginning of COVID. So lots of crazy things happening at that time. Time, but you know it's been such a blessing and today you know we launched vertical street ventures earlier in this year of January 21 and we are about to close on you know 90 million dollars of assets in our first year as a company so it's been a wild ride holy cow that's an amazing ride so I think maybe just diving into it a little bit single family I think that's where a lot of us started what was interesting about single family or like what piqued your interest there to start with we talked to a lot of people today too and everyone says the same thing I've always heard about real estate I've always wanted to get into it, but I never knew who to talk to or how to get in. And, you know, when we wanted to diversify, the thing that popped into our head a lot was just financial independence and passive income, right? We've all heard about the fire movement and all of that good stuff, but what could generate something that could give us income while not working or when we were sleeping and real estate was the one that kept on popping up. And so naturally, single family homes was just the most common type of real estate asset that we heard of. And that was, you know, we just happened to meet the right people at the right time that got us into that industry very quickly. That's great. So do you still own your single families or do you divest? I still have them. I have a third party manager who, a company who managed them for me in Cincinnati. They're still cash flowing. Surprisingly, it's appreciated in the Midwest, believe it or not. Just no reason yet we need to, to sell them. So... 
Well, that's great. Yeah, I've uh, like you, I started in the single family space. And I think it was a, you know, one of those things where it's the easiest, right? You understand it. It seems very similar to like, oh, there's a home, right? I own a home. So it's very similar. But I think as you get a little bit more involved with real estate, obviously, you kind of start thinking about what's next. And how can you do this at some sort of scale uh, that doesn't require a roof and an air conditioner, or maybe two for every single property, which I think is, uh, which is interesting. You transition into multifamily. So did you you start by syndicating? Is that, was that the path forward? And how did you, how did you get into that? Yeah. So as soon as we started dipping our toe in terms of the learning curve, read lots of books, um, went to meetups, listened to podcasts, we decided to start both routes at the same time. So meaning I wanted to look for deals so that I could be a passive investor with other syndicators. And then I was concurrently learning the ropes on how to be a syndicator myself. Around the same time, last quarter of 2020, I actually did both. So I invested in my first three deals as a passive investor, and then also did two deals as a syndicator, all within the October through December timeframe. You said Cincinnati. Are you connected with Joe Fairless over there? Funny. My husband went to one of his meetups in Cincinnati, but I don't believe Joe was there at that time. But we have, I have invested with him. And um, in fact, I was just talking to him yesterday on his podcast as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, small world. Yeah. Well, I think is is we think about really the goal, and I think coming back to what you said in the beginning was, you know, we want passive income, right? We don't want this to be necessarily an active job. So that's really where the limited partner comes in. So I think you've made a transition into real estate. So there's an active piece, but you're also investing passively. What would probably be your advice or thoughts for a limited partner trying to get into it? What advice would you give them? Yes. So if you are looking to invest more as a limited partner, um, I tell all of the folks that I interact with today, kind of the same thing. So, you know, everyone looks at the numbers, but if you look across all the deals across the country, the numbers are actually quite similar. So we're talking, you know, a eight to 10% cash on cash return, a um, 1.8 to 2X multiple and a 15% IRR. Very standard numbers. What you're really investing in or what you should really be doing your diligence on is one, two things. One, the marketplace. Do you believe that market has potential to grow? And then two, and probably more importantly, the sponsorship team. So do they have a track record? Do they um, have the right communication style? Do they have the same values as you do in terms of operations and performance and, and work ethic? Those are the things that I typically will look for when I find a new deal to invest in. That's great. And I think, you know, in terms of looking at deals, there's probably an allure similar to your situation where maybe you want to be active. I don't think it's for everybody. I guess, what would your because you obviously took both the active and the passive route to find you know, these larger deals. What is your advice there? You're wanting to look into becoming a little more active or eventually full-time into this business like I am. couple things. Obviously, learn start the education of what does it look like to be a syndicator? You know, as a passive investor, you actually get kind of a front row seat to what it takes to do a syndication. So you should be, you should start by reading all of the monthly financials that your sponsor is giving you, understanding the numbers that are part of that report, the income coming in, the expenses coming out, et cetera. Uh, be familiar. So that way you can ask, you know, intelligent questions about the business and the property. And then what really helped me accelerate to be 
a syndicator and to be um, to go out and find deals and underwrite was I actually found a mentor that helped coach me uh, for the better part of my first year in this industry um, and really gave me hands-on training to quickly accelerate my learning curve. So that is, I don't know if you can put a dollar amount or a value to that. It can definitely, and it will definitely accelerate the learning curve if you you know go out and find some one-on-one help. Yeah, that, I think that's a really, really important point because the syndication market is not new. People have been doing it for for a while. There is a recipe. There's a recipe for success. And I think there's also a recipe for failure. And and probably what you're hinting at is the recipe for failure is trying to go out all by yourself and do it, right? Because there's just little landmines here and there that can trip you up if you don't know what you're doing legal-wise, investor-wise. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's this is a multi-million dollar business. Every time you take down an apartment, or even if you want a collection of, you know, single family homes, it's a multi-million dollar business and a multi-million dollar mistake. Can you do it yourself? Absolutely. You don't want to because you probably won't sleep, right? You probably will make a ton of a mistake. You will just go faster, bigger, faster if you find the right team and the right mentor to guide you along the way. That's clear. And I think the maybe the other point, which is probably worth bringing up, is that when you're new in the business, if you have a mentor, it could obviously serve like an advisor for your team and give you the credibility that you need to help people understand that like you, you can get this done. Because I would imagine that there will be times where folks are looking to invest and they come across somebody that's never done a deal before. And having that advisor or mentor kind of on your team as an advisor, as a backstop is, is really the credibility that you should look for as an LP. And I guess the point that I'm making is I'd love to get your thoughts on this too, is that there may be times where you find somebody that individually doesn't have a ton of experience, but has brought in the right team to provide that experience. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I get this question a lot too, in terms of do I, when I look for other deals to invest in, do I only look at people with 10 years of syndication experience? Not necessarily. I look at their entire team, just like you mentioned, who plays which role and, and what is their performance like. But I also look for a couple other things. A lot of the, the team members full-time. Um, so not to bag on anybody that has a regular job and then doing this as well on the side, but there's just an element of work that goes along with having this be your full-time job where you can dedicate 100% of your time to running the property. So that's an important one for me as well. And then what is their history before real estate investing? So I had a lot of great transferable skills running a you know multi-million dollar business at PNG and moving those skill sets over to this industry. So even though I haven't done this for five or 10 years, my project management, my people management skills, launch, you know, managing budgets and PLs, that all naturally transitioned over to this industry. So it wasn't as hard of a learning curve in terms of running you know, the business of an apartment building. Great point. And maybe even something else to think about is like specialization in terms of, you know, what are you investing in? I like the fact that we're talking about apartments and all, that's all we're talking about. Like that makes me feel better about what you're thinking about versus somebody that's more opportunistic and saying, well, it could be apartments. It could be self-storage. It could be a bunch of other things. I guess in your experience, one, setting up your own business and two, investing, what, does that play a part in how you make a decision? Yeah, absolutely. I think the key here is focus because real estate is such a big, broad industry. You could be pulled in 50 different directions, like you mentioned, and that's very distracting. So if you can focus, 
this, even uh, on the asset type, the market, right? Down to, you know, the, the two or three submarkets even, that is going to only help you in the long run because this is a people business. It is a relationship business. So the better that you can build strong relationships in those focus areas, the easier it is for you to take down deals and grow your business. Let's think about mistakes that one, maybe you've made. You, maybe you're perfect and you haven't made any mistakes, but I guess what mistakes have you seen? And then maybe what mistakes do you know about? Maybe that your mentor has shown you the landmine ahead of time that we can help our limited partner community here avoid. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've, I'm not perfect by any means. I've definitely made a lot of mistakes, but the important thing is, you know, you have to learn and grow from them. So one mistake that I have experienced myself on a smaller scale, but I've definitely seen this on a much larger scale is, you know, jumping too quickly into, I'll call it relationships or partnership in this industry. So we're a, a startup company and we probably should have thought through a little bit better key roles and responsibilities um, with people before we actually rolled them out. In this industry, I've seen people join partnerships join and create a company together without truly dating their partner. And then they just went straight to the, you know, Vegas altar with Vegas, uh, with Elvis and got married right away. There's a, a long process. I think people don't realize they have to follow. Do you understand your partner? Do you understand their values? Have you met their family? I mean, that, that's important as well. We even go through background checks now um, with some of our partners before we, we go partner with them. So the divorces I've seen happen in this industry are very messy, especially when you have to answer to your investors. So it's super important to really do the diligence on potential partners before you merge them together. And I've seen, unfortunately, some of those relationships crumble in this industry. It's a really astute observation, especially if you're relatively new a couple years into this thing, is that a partnership, I mean, I had this conversation maybe two days ago, about a partnership. And I was inquiring with somebody else about maybe a potential partnership. And the advice that my mentor slash coach gave me was there's a couple different ways you can look at a partnership. You can have a partnership on a particular deal, right? Which means that you, you work together and you do a deal together. And if that deal doesn't go great, the relationship isn't amazing, then you know that's what it is. But if you bring somebody into kind of the upstream, the manager, the GP kind of part of the partnership, you, know, you might be stuck with that person forever, or like you mentioned, a divorce. And I think that that's, that's such an astute observation. And it, it really kind of resonated with me because sometimes as a, an investor or somebody putting a deal together, you're, you're trying to find somebody that has maybe the skills that you don't have. And it may seem natural to say, hey, you know, like you bring A, I bring B, you know, A plus B is what we're looking for. But that relationship is so key. So I guess maybe thinking about about it from a, a limited partner's perspective, what would you recommend if you're looking at a potential investment with partners, co-founders, as you will? What questions should we be asking? Yeah, I think there's a lot that you can do. I encourage our investors and even my friends and family who ask me the same question. So, you know, as part of your diligence process in, in looking at the team, you know, do all the social media stalking that you, you are able to on Facebook, LinkedIn, because that says a lot about who a person is and what they value value and care about. And most likely they'll be posting about their properties or projects as well. So you can get a glimpse of any prior performance and, and what they're currently working on. I also ask for references. It's a brand new syndicating team that I've never done business with. Then I'll ask for, hey, can you provide me one or two names of your current investors so that I can chat with them about their experience so far working with you? And if they're hesitant to give you some names, and that's obviously a red flag right off the bat. So watch out for that as well. And then I've also 
recommended have them show you their financial packet. And most should be willing to share that with you so you can see you know, how transparent they are with the information they give their investors. Is it just a one-page balance sheet or a 12-month income statement? Or is it the full package? So you know, on our team, we give our investors the entire packet of financials that we receive from our property management. We don't hold anything back. We give them every single detail, the general ledger down to our bank statements so they can see what comes in and out. So those are kind of the big things that I always recommend you should be asking for before you put your hard-earned money somewhere. I think those are those are amazing points, right? Because the transparency and the disclosures and the information that you're getting is really key. And, and one of the things I've learned along the way, and I've heard several times, is that most partnerships underestimate the investor relations side of things, meaning you know, what it takes to make sure that the investors are informed. And also, you're trying to be perfect, I think, is not every day is going to be a good day. Not every month is going to be a great month. And there will be surprises along the way. But community Communication is so key and being transparent when it's happening is very key. What, what is your experience with that? You know, um, as an investor, I've had some great examples of transparency and communication. An example would be, you know, earlier this year, Texas had that massive freeze that was a, caused a lot of plumbing issues, a lot of issues on site with the exterior landscaping, et cetera. And so an example of great communication was the sponsorship team sent out literally daily communication on what was going on with the property, where the residents safe, what was turned off, turned back on, et cetera, how were collections. So they did that for a couple of weeks just so that we felt confident in their problem solving and their ability to, to make sure they were taking care of the property. On the flip side, you know, if my other deals, I hear once a month, which is pretty standard, but in that monthly newsletter, there's maybe two paragraphs, right? So it's not a lot of information coming from that sponsorship team. So would I invest with them again in the future? Maybe, maybe not. Um, it would give me a little hesitancy, but I would for sure invest with the former example I mentioned earlier. I think that's such a key point because it's probably underestimated for most sponsorships, the amount of communication. And then to just, you know, the feeling of, oh, we got this, like, I don't want to scare anybody. So, you know, maybe less is more like, we'll try and fix it before it becomes a problem. You know, and the horror stories that I've heard are, you know, something happens one month that doesn't look great. And you're like, well, maybe this is just a blip. Let's see if we can get through it. And then these things accumulate over time. And then the investors find out about it and they're like, wait, like how long has this been going on? And I think that the erosion of trust is so fast. And those are the things that you probably should also be looking for. So maybe, you know, to your point earlier, like what do they provide? What does that reporting package look like, you know, and if you can get that information before, you know, on historical properties, that would be a really good indicator of what to expect. So what else, what other, what other mistakes or landmines should we be thinking about? You know, as a, on the investor side, you know, obviously the diligence on the sponsorship team is probably number one. And then also as that project continues, you know, one thing that you want to make sure you keep track of, of course, is read the newsletter, read the monthly financials, and then just track your returns. Are they delivering on that return that they forecasted for you? And that's important to keep track of because as you continue to invest with more people, you want to make sure that you're investing with folks that are delivering on what they say they would have delivered. Um, so that's a watch out that I was actual spreadsheet in Excel that I track every single one of my investments by month by quarter whenever they distribute their funds. And then I compare it with column that says, here's what they projected for that year, just to really hold them accountable to what they should be doing and executing the business plan. So that's something that I look at every month 
as well. That's a great point. I think on top of that too, especially if you're in a preferred return scenario where maybe you have months that you underperformed, right? And the distributions were or quarterly, the distributions were lower than projected and there's catch-ups. Those calculations can start to get a little bit messy as they compound and watching that early so that you can catch you know, any mistakes or make sure that you understand what's happening. Because if it goes too far, it can get really complicated, especially when you're in a situation where maybe cash flows aren't what you initially thought they would be over time. And if the distributions aren't correct, and then there's like a large catch up, like it could be an issue down the road. So I think that's a, that's a great point. So tracking often. Right. Let's flip the script. You know, this limited partner syndication, multifamily space. Is there anything, what would you do to make it a better industry? Like, where do you think there's improvements that need to be made? Yeah, I think actually there's two big ones that pop in my head. I think the first is in the industry itself. That's actually around kind of the makeup of the industry. So what I mean is more so around diversity. I'm huge on um, making sure that this industry grows, of course, but then also that we are representing the diverse fabric of the people that work as syndicators, that are investors, and also that comprise of the makeup similar to what our residents are. So as I look across all the conferences that I go to, panels that I see speaking, I want to be able to see more um, diversity as well as more female representation. I, I talk to a lot of females that I know and we all agree there's there needs to be more female representation, good or bad, um, however you want to look at it. And I think in more leadership positions as well. And then from a uh, community standpoint, you know, again, I mentioned earlier, this is a people business. And so one of the the things we are trying to do with our company is how do we make sure we improve the communities that we invest in and we leave it in a better place than when we found it. So, you know, one of the things we're going to do next year is start a nonprofit leg of the company so that we can give back in some way, shape or form to these communities and truly make it a home for our residents, make it a cleaner, safer, better place. There's lots of families that live on these properties. We want to make sure we help build it from the top end all the way up to the, the other end as well. I really like that. And, you know, I've had a lot of discussions lately about, you know, exactly this topic. What does, you know, sustainability in, in the business and why should somebody really care? Because if you think about the business, you know, from paper perspective, like does diversity in the business have any impact on the returns? And, you know, your short answer would probably be like, well, no, right? Like we're trying to maximize returns and therefore like that's all that we're really focused on. And, you know, the reality is, and I think this is the message that needs to come across is that investors are now looking for this. So as you think about where the market's going, like even if just make it blunt, investors are, are looking for companies to work with that have a plan, that have you know diversity and inclusion and sustainability and plans in place. And all things considered, if your company has it and somebody else doesn't, or you don't and somebody else does, the money is going to go to the other player, right? And therefore, the cost of capital is going to go up. You're going to be less competitive. So even if you're thinking about this purely on a returns basis, I think it's really important to understand that this is the way the world is is going. So like you need to kind of get your mind wrapped around it versus just thinking purely and like, oh, well, you know, our job is to, to maximize returns, not to, you know, do something amazing for society. Think that those things are coming hand in hand very quickly now. 
agree. And a lot of it too is diversity of people, of course, but also of thought and of background and experiences. And I think the more that we can see uh, of that, I think the more this industry can explode and deliver on everything you just mentioned, sustainability, give back, growth, uh, all of environmental. Like there's so many more things that I think we can blow up in the coming years. We haven't even explored yet. And I love that because I had a conversation just yesterday and we're talking about like inertia of this business industry. And there's people who have been doing this for forever the same way. And a lot of times it takes somebody with a different background, a different opinion to come in with a new way of looking at things that can really shake it up and you know revolutionize the way we're doing the business. And you don't get that if you just do it the same way we've been doing it forever. So you bring in the same team, everybody's doing it the way they've done it for forever. So I really, I think there's so much to it and there's a lot there. So I applaud you for, you know, really making that an area of focus that you guys are actually, you know, making tangible with, with practical giving back to the community. So in the show, you know, to kind of wrap it up, always want to ask, you know, it's about gratitude. Who out there helped give you a leg up? You mentioned a mentor earlier, you, you know, that doesn't have to be your person, but who would you like to give a specific shout out to that helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, actually to my former mentor who is now my partner, Steve Louie. He was the one that kind of opened a lot of doors for me. Let me shadow him and co-manage his properties for him um, just to get on all that hands-on experience and accelerate my learning curve and you know, built our relationship, interviewed each other essentially for a good year, then decided to partner and join this company. So just hats off to him for um, taking me under his wing. And I really, really appreciate the mentorship that he gave me um, and still does today. That's an awesome story. So not only was he a mentor and gave you a leg up, but you eventually started working together. I, I think that's fantastic. Well, Jenny, this has been a great conversation. I think you brought some really amazing points that are diverse and kind of hitting on that last point that that I liked. So thank you again. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend and holidays. Thank you. Likewise, Jake. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Limited Partner Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. If there's any reason you wouldn't leave us a five-star review, please email me directly at jw at jakewiley.com. Your feedback is always appreciated. Now, the show is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the limited partner community. It's a community where limited partners can come together, learn about what best in class looks like, opportunities, and most importantly, a place to connect. There is nothing out there like this. So head over to thelimitedpartner.com and sign up. We'll see you next time.